The Old, Test the Old Testament reading comes from Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker on the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 4. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me, for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, 
standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was uh, a few years ago now in North Texas that Kimberly Smith was driving alone and uh, a car kind of came and swerved to cut her off and she swerved to avoid the car. She ended up rolling her car several times and when the car finally came to rest, she was pinned inside. And a good Samaritan saw her car and stopped to render aid. The man came over to see if she was all right. She was. Um, she couldn't reach her purse. He brought her her purse. And then he started to walk away, and she pleaded with him to stay with her. He said, I'm just going to my car. I'll call 911. But when he got to his vehicle, his truck he drove away. And it wasn't until later on that Kimberly discovered that her cash and credit cards were missing. Sometimes it's hard for us to be able to judge or to know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Last week in our gospel lesson, Jesus encouraged the disciples and encouraged us also to pray always to the Father and not to lose heart. It is so easy for us to be focused on ourselves, to be focused on the path that we imagine we see ahead of us in our lives. Never mind that the path ahead is only a mirage until we actually take those steps that God could have for us some uh, turn to the right or to the left that we don't know about yet. We look out there and we plan for this or that. We worry about this or that. We, this fear, that fear, none of which may actually come to be. God knows our path and only God knows. And the comfort that we have comes from the fact, as we talked about last week, that God is our Heavenly Father and that He loves us, that He wants only good for us, that He is working only good for us in every circumstance. In our Gospel reading assigned for today in Luke chapter 18, we are now three parables, one teaching, 
one last foretelling of his death and resurrection, one healing, and one supper with a tax collector named Zacchaeus away from the triumphal entry and the beginning of Holy Week. And now Jesus answers some people who seem to be trusting in themselves. He's on his way to the cross. He is on his way to shed his blood to pay for the sins of the world. And he encounters here now some people who are not going to trust the Messiah, who are not going to trust God, but who are looking to themselves and their own works, thinking that they are good guys. Trusting in our own goodness is a great temptation. We know that full well. And as we approach our own death, it is folly for us to look to ourselves, folly for us, foolish, to rely on our good works, to think that we are so good that God must want us in heaven with him. As though Almighty God on his judgment throne might look at us and that any kindness that we've shown to other people or the honest and faithful work that we've done or the time and the money that we have spent on the church or the ways that we've been hospitable to others or visited the sick in their homes or in the hospital. It's foolish for us to look at ourselves and to find reason to think that we have earned God's favor, earned our place in heaven with him. Yet so often that is where our flesh goes. We might find our flesh going there without realizing it, suddenly thinking, wait a minute, what am I, what am I thinking about here? comparing ourselves to others and doing so in ways devised by ourselves to make ourselves feel good about ourselves, put us up on top. And to those in our reading this morning and to all who hope in themselves, hope in their own goodness, Jesus directs his parable. He puts up two men for our consideration, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And we, we have to understand the contrast there, and maybe we do. Uh, Jesus is looking at using two well-known characters in first century Israel to make his point. The Pharisee, as we know, would have been held in very high esteem by the people. The name Pharisee, if you remember, means separate. The Pharisees were a group who separated themselves from the general society as a, a class unto themselves, a people who obeyed in every respect the law of Moses, every jot and tittle. They were seen by the populace as people whom God would be pleased to welcome into heaven very good people because of their devotion and their strict obedience to every letter of the law. And Jesus uses that perception of the people in one of his teaching discourses at another time to say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. See, the people would see them as very righteous and Jesus puts it up and says, unless you are more righteous than they, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were at the top rung 
of the pleasing God ladder. In really stark contrast then is Jesus' other character in the parable, the hated tax collector. If anyone was going to be in hell, it was the tax collector. He was a Jew who had gone against his countrymen, gone over to the side of the occupying Romans, the scum who grew fat and rich by demanding more from his brothers and sisters than was necessary according to the law. And so they were understandably hated by the people. They were at the bottom rung of the pleasing God ladder. And in Jesus' parable, we meet these two as they come before God in the temple to pray. And Jesus' hearers would have had a good picture of who the good guy was and who the bad guy was. The Pharisee is off by himself, separated from the lower crowds. And he, he prays to God and imagine that God sees him as he sees himself. A good, a righteous person who measures up to God in God's eyes. Not like all those that he sees around himself. Meanwhile, the tax collector, the chief of sinners in this crowd at the temple, is also off by himself, shunned, separate from the people. He cannot even lift his face to heaven. He knows that he is a sinner. God be merciful to me, he cries. Now those who heard Jesus' parable would have been shocked to hear that the Pharisee was not the one who went home justified. But because you've heard this parable and explanation before, you probably already knew who the good guy and the bad guy were. In our Genesis reading, in the story of Cain and Abel, we find another stark contrast. Cain, Adam and Eve's firstborn, is a tiller of the ground, a farmer. Abel is a keeper of the flock. He's a shepherd. And both bring sacrifices from their labors to God. Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brings the choice lamb or, or uh, sheep from his flock, the fat portion, it says. And the Lord has regard for Abel's offering and not for Cain's. And we might, when we hear this, we might come to that conclusion that Abel is the good guy and Cain is the bad guy. I mean, after all, Cain commits murder, right? But maybe it's not so clear-cut. We wonder sometimes about why God doesn't accept Cain's sacrifice. The text doesn't tell us. But Hebrews does. Hebrews chapter 11 sheds a little light. The writer tells us that it was by faith that Abel's sacrifice was received. Abel brought his sacrifice in faith, while Cain apparently did not. Good and bad is a matter of the heart. Jesus, in his parable and in his teachings, makes this point abundantly clear. And the truth of his teachings is this, that where the sinful heart is concerned, there are no good guys. 
God's word is very clear about that. All have sinned and fall short. All of Adam's offspring, Cain and Abel and later Seth, and every human being down the line has been born sinful, devoid of inherent goodness. Abel and Cain are both bad guys in this sense. There are no good guys here in the sense that all are lost and condemned. But there are those who acknowledge God as the one who delivers us from our inherent badness. And there are those who try to stand on their own, perhaps going through the motions of honoring God with their lips when their hearts are far from him, as it says in Matthew. God is eager to make all bad guys good. That's all of us. He is eager to make us good by giving us his righteousness, the goodness of his son, Jesus Christ. Abel and Cain are both lost if Christ does not die and rise from the dead. Today, in our readings also, we finish Paul's last words to Timothy in our epistle reading. In fact, they appear likely to be the last words that Paul writes that we have before he is martyred for the faith. And in the beginning of our reading, we hear Paul saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And in a few, the, the few verses that we skip in our reading there, we hear about Demas, Crescens, and Titus, all who have been with Paul, but who have deserted him in his plight. He's in prison in Rome. Alexander the coppersmith, Paul says, did him great harm. No one stood by him in his first defense, in his first hearing there. No one stood by him. And again, we begin to say, Paul, good guy, all these others, bad guy. It's ingrained in us, we go right there. Yet in Paul's first letter to Timothy, Paul would put himself as the worst guy, right? Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I don't think Paul would even list himself under the good guy column. Paul writes, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Rescue him from every evil deed. And those may be evil deeds that he's thinking about. Uh, the people who have given him beat beatings, um, who have picked up stones to stone him. Those may be the people he's talking about. He may, by the evil deeds though, he may even be thinking about himself. Because Paul recognizes that he and we need to be rescued from our own evil deeds. Our own sins that condemn us our thoughts, our desires. That's why he writes to Timothy in his first letter and says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. 
And we've touched on almost all of our reading except for the last part, the end of the gospel reading today. Luke records that the people were bringing their infants to Jesus so that he could touch them. And we understand again culturally that the children were at the bottom of the rung. Uh, they were at the bottom of the social ladder there. They should be seen and not heard. Jesus, the great teacher, should not be troubled with children, especially not crying infants. And Jesus has words for the disciples. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, who doesn't love children? <laughs> and, and, well, we have to be careful because we want to say children, good guys in this reading too, right? Disciples, bad guys. Ah, we finally found the good ones, the innocent little ones, the children. No, being an offspring of Adam and Eve, they are as sinful as the rest of us and would be lost and f lost forever if not redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Rather, we enter the kingdom of God when we rely not on our goodness, but on the goodness, on the righteousness of Jesus. Children are dependent. They cannot stand, live on their own. They are the opposite of the Pharisee who relies on himself, on his own merit to gain God's favor. And they don't enter the kingdom of God because they're good, but they receive the kingdom as they receive everything from their loving parents. They receive heaven as a gift from a loving father. That's how anyone receives the kingdom, solely on the merits of Jesus Christ. You and I stand on quite a collection, stand with quite a collection of bad guys, Cain and Abel and the Pharisees and the tax collector and Paul and the children that Jesus was touching. We know that our only plea is to the mercy of God who gave his son for us. Because the only really good guy in our reading is Jesus himself. And our loving Heavenly Father sent him into our world to make us bad guys good. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all sin. You have been born of water and the word. Born again. Born to new life. Christ has given you his righteousness. You can love because he first loved you. You can forgive others because God has forgiven you such a great debt. You have the light of Christ within you. You have been born again in your baptism by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are a new creation in him. The old has gone. The new has come. And so it's our great joy to stand with the tax collector and confess our sins to God our Father. And it is by God's grace in Jesus Christ and nothing else that you and I go home today justified.
To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.